left fielders. At LFI, you know our focus is on networking and education. Mark your calendars because we're going to have a full day of it dedicated to you, our limited partners, at the best ever conference on April 9th in Salt Lake City. Left Field Investors is opening the BEC with Passive Investing Mastery, an event focused on passive investors. This will be where insightful content meets passionate LP investors. If you enjoyed BEC last year and the meetup in left field this year, imagine them both back to back. The best ever conference isn't just any event. It's the premier conference for commercial real estate investors and operators. Your ticket to passive investing mastery includes admission to the entire best ever conference from April 9th through the 12th. Join us April 9th, where we will have a packed agenda with sessions focused on how to be a successful limited partner led by experienced LPs, top operators, and partners. Then immerse yourself in the full best ever conference where you will be surrounded by like-minded investors, operators, and industry experts for unparalleled opportunities for learning and networking. The best part, and there are so many, but the best part, you won't find a bigger discount on the regular ticket price than the one you get for being an infielder. That's more content for an exclusive lower price. Register for the event today at leftfieldinvestors.com slash BEC, and we will see you at Passive Investing Mastery presented by Left Field Investors at the BEC. Hey, left fielders, you know our partner TribeVest, the platform that makes it super easy, safe, and transparent to form a business and invest with partners. I'm in 12 tribes myself. Now, TribeVest is integrated with LFI even more. Every deal webinar has the option to join an open tribe. This means left fielders can invest at lower minimums compared to going directly with the sponsor. It's a great way to diversify and spread your risk. TribeVest handles all of the heavy lifting. All you have to do is join the open tribe. Subscribe to LFI emails and sign up for Clubhouse access to take advantage of deal webinars and open tribes. Self-storage has been one of the fastest growing real estate sectors for four decades straight. With inflation on the rise, it may be the hedge you're looking for. Spartan Investment Group identifies low-risk, value-add investment opportunities in commercial real estate. Their private debt and equity opportunities offer stable monthly payments and predictable returns. And since they put every investment through a 700-plus point due diligence checklist, you can invest with confidence. To learn more, visit spartan-investors.com. Disruptive technology is anything that challenges a kind of societal norm. That kind of breaks open what you see as a normal way of doing things and you find a way that is uh, more conducive, faster, cheaper way of doing something. And blockchain has that capability of disrupting how we receive and validate information starting with finances. That's where we kind of find Bitcoin, right? Do I need to go through multiple layers of institutions for me to receive money or send money from America to, say, Amsterdam? Hello, left fielders. Welcome to Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. And this is Whitney Sewell from LifeBridge Capital. You are listening to Passive Investing from Left Field. 
I'm excited today to have Ben Jorgensen with us. He is a business owner and inventor who focuses on emerging technologies in Web3, blockchain, and cryptocurrency. For the last five years, Ben has served as founder and CEO of Constellation Network, a Web3 company. We're going to learn what Web3 is, so we'll uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, a Web3 company with cryptocurrencies DAG and LTX that is building an ecosystem for developers to build Web3 applications that integrate with existing Web2 digital infrastructure, a more scalable Ethereum. So I'm not sure what all that means, but we're going to get into it. Um, also, Constellation is one of two companies contracted to work with the U.S. Department of Defense, so you know they're legit. So Ben, welcome to Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate it, and thanks for having me. Well, I'm, I'm excited about this one. As, as I explained kind of before we started recording, um, you know, our community is focused on passive investments, mostly in real estate, but we also get into some other things and, and crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain, all of that is of interest to us, but you're going to have to dumb it down and give us the beginner lessons on that. So before we dig into it, your journey, how did you get into this industry? Where did you come from and, and how did you get here? Yeah, so um, I mean, I can go back as uh, far back as I grew up in Indiana, and I always wanted to move out west to where kind of the future was made. I always saw technology as like this ominous thing, and smart people were out there building the future, flying cars, you know, the computers. <laughs> um, and so when I went to college, I really I had a very curious mind. Uh, I did three majors in four years six honors thesis. I tried to merge different studies together and kind of paint a different picture in the world, um, which is kind of, I think it's pertinent to show like, how did I find my way into blockchain, right? And I, I kind of use that as a stepping stone. Of, um, there's a lot of creativity in the blockchain space and industry, the crypto industry, um, that, that really kind of my interest is finding creativity and big ideas. Uh, and I think that's kind of the core of what I, I pride myself on and what I've done is that it's not, you know, I've done a lot in the crypto space, um, but I've also built a, a restaurant group in San Francisco where I found a chef that had a creative vision, um, but needed kind of the oomph to get started and get going. Uh, so I also co-own two restaurants. Um, the second one's about to open this week, actually, uh, in San Francisco. And um, I also uh, founded uh, Constellation, and I actually started getting involved in both of those at the same time. Um, and really, my passion is finding create, creative people that have a big idea but don't know how to get it going. Uh, and so that's, I mean, you can almost look at that from like a, a private equity kind of management kind of perspective, if you will. Uh, and so the way I really got into blockchain, and I think it's an easier stepping stone, is I read a book called Exponential Organizations, um, which I, I kind of call it corporate crack for junior leadership. Everybody in Fortune 500 companies reads this book on um, disruptive technologies that they can bring into their, their organization. And the book really defines kind of this um, immune system that Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 companies have towards innovation. It's antithetical to what they're doing at, at a company. Um, so how do you embrace uh, innovation? And that's what the book goes through. And so what happened was that I found myself working for the author in creating a whole business around a 12-week sprint that a 
Fortune 500 company would go through to identify disruptive technologies. Um, and in that kind of list of disruptive technologies was blockchain. And the ability to use a distributed or uh, immutable ledger to validate uh, information. But there was also components around blockchain communities that really came to, to light, which was kind of the socioeconomic movement that was happening around the younger generation in finding ways of having ownership, control, or input on the kind of state or organization of, a, uh, of an entity. Um, blockchain has really kind of embraced uh, a rather big vision that is hard to understand, but it's um, it's like taking a red pill or, or the red pill or the, or the blue pill in the matrix, right? You either kind of go with it or you don't. Um, and that's kind of your worldview, right? Just like people go, oh, I'm a Democrat or a Republican, right? It's, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, but that's a little bit of my backstory on how I, I really fell into this. And once I was working for this consulting firm um, around this exponential organizations, this book, um, I am ultimately a builder. I live in San Francisco. I live right outside of San Francisco. And so I'm not a, I'm not, I don't have a background in consulting. I have a background in building businesses. And ultimately that led me into finding the founding group uh, of Constellation. Uh, to actually build a blockchain from scratch that could uh, answer some of the the problems um, that are that are around kind of the blockchain space and um, and that was about five years ago so it's been I, I can't even believe that that's <laughs> it's been that long yeah well in this industry a lot happens in five years right so oh, the, the way the way I would like to start is just some basic definitions now, you know, like I said, we, we this is complicated stuff for, for anyone, but for real estate investors who are used to, you know, looking at a building, looking at some financials, this is, this is complicated. So you mentioned disruptive technology, and, and we hear that all the time, uh, but it, it's kind of one of those buzzwords that w – what is disruptive technology? Yeah, I think disruptive technology is anything that challenges a kind of societal norm that kind of breaks open – um, what would you say? Kind of breaks open what you see as a, uh, a normal way of doing things and you find a way that is, uh, more conducive, faster, cheaper, quicker, or, you know, quicker. I already said faster way of doing something. Um, and blockchain, uh, has that capability of disrupting how we receive and validate information, starting with finance, finances. Um, that's where we kind of find Bitcoin, right? Do I need to go through multiple layers of institutions for me to receive money or send money from America to, say, Amsterdam? Okay. So, again, definitions. I'm going to give you a, a few words here and then yeah. – you know, if, if you can, and I, I usually go one by one, but I'm not even sure if they're the same or they need to, to go all at once. So we have Web3, blockchain, <laughs> cryptocurrency, and decentralized network. Are those all the same thing or are those all different things? And, and can you just kind of talk about them individually or as a group, however, however they most make sense? Yeah. Uh, so Web3, I would coin as like the, the industry, right? It's a Web3 is a component, the components would be um, metaverses, uh, like we've heard from Facebook coming out with kind of these alternative universes. 
or worlds, these digital worlds that we can exist in through VR headsets. Um, Web3 consists of blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, kind of the liberation of uh, payments and transactions outside of banking, kind of these, uh, uh, it's a, uh, it's an evolution of web two technology, which is more kind of read, write. I go to a website like Amazon. I order something. It's not really interactive. Web three has a more interactive social component with commerce going on. Um, and it requires kind of a different state of thinking, if you will. Um, so then blockchain is the underlying technology that would power a Web3 entity that's not centrally owned. And then cryptocurrency is the means of transacting within that, that ecosystem. Hopefully that helps. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's great. And then the decentralized network, is that, that's related to Web3 then? Because, uh, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so, so right now you have, uh, with cloud computing, you have a lot of centralized servers that control all the information, right? This is primarily run by Google, Amazon, you know, Apple, um, and they're controlling how all information is created and shared in the world. Uh, with decentralized networking, it actually allows people like you, me, um, people all over the world to make up a network that processes the information versus a centralized server network like Google and Amazon. Uh, and why that's valuable, I think that's kind of the red pill, blue pill, is that there is a socioeconomic shift that's been happening over the past 10 years that people are starting to question who has control over their information. If you just think about AI today, and people are starting to question the governance of data. Where does the data come into these AI systems that, that, that actually print out information? What is the logic going into that? How do we govern that? Um, am I contributing information? Are they reading this um, uh, without me knowing? A decentralized network provides the infrastructure that's, uh, that would allow for more uh, transparency and accountability for how data goes into a system some, for something like AI. And it really, the, yeah, the, I think the powerful thing here, really quick to touch on that, is that um, it, it takes away from the central entity to give each person the power to participate in the processing of that network, right? We all become these nodes in a network that are able to validate a transaction. Uh, a good way to describe that is, um, Jim, you and I go to a bar and, um, you say, Hey Ben, I want to buy your beer off you. And you give me $5. I give you the beer and you go, Hey, wait a second. I never gave you $5. And I said, no, I gave you the beer In a centralized system. It's our trust between each other in a decentralized network. We would call on the entire bar to go, Hey, did that transaction happen? And so you'd have a hundred other people in the bar go, Yes, we saw that transaction happen. Ben gave the beer. Jim gave Ben the $5. And so that's the power of, now think about that on like a global systems of information. Was that information transferred? You're, cons you're consulting or going through a consensus of all the different nodes across the world that make up that decentralized network. Okay, and, and that, that's a great example. 
yeah. it really it really makes it easy to understand. But I guess in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, but you know, the bar has a hundred people in it. But there's three people who weren't paying attention, four people who've had too much to drink, and three other people who are just going to disagree with you because that's in their nature. So, sure. you know, when, you, when you're decentralizing, how do you know that everyone is, is being a fair actor? Because clearly, if you're in that bar and it's all rational people who are acting fairly, they're all going to nod their head and say, yeah, we saw the transaction happen. But how do you protect against, you know, someone who's like, no, didn't see it, don't care, I'm just going to say no? That's actually a great question and a great example. So in uh, a network, a decentralized network, you use algorithms to organize the network. And people that don't participate correctly or show a disagreement um, are actually rejected from the network. Um, and sometimes this comes into the sense that um, if you've ever heard of like uh, Bitcoin going through a fork, it's where a group of nodes or operators in the bar say, hey, that didn't happen. We're going to go with Jim's story and they fork off and create their own, their own narrative. Or you have a situation where uh, uh, those people are outliers and they're not operating correctly, right? So from a programmatic perspective, it's, hey, they don't have the right uptime. So they're not processing the, the transaction. They're not validating it correctly. And... In, in blockchain or in decentralized networking, what that mechanism is called a consensus mechanism. Um, and that consensus mechanism uh, is used to identify the good actors, the bad actors, who's operating correctly and, and participating in the transaction or validation of that transaction. Okay. That, that, that helps a lot. So, Great. you know, the, how do people use these blockchains and 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 the the network and all that? Because you know, I I use it, right? But I I'm completely a speculator. I'm buying some Bitcoin. I'm buying some Ethereum, and you know, it it's a small port part of my portfolio. My hope is that it just goes to the moon, and then I make make a bunch of money, right? But I don't know anything about blockchain or ledgers. And you said immutable ledgers, like. What is the what is the use case other than just speculation? And and there's nothing you know. There's a space for speculation in everyone's portfolio, but aside sure. from a speculative investment, what is this really doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of in many ways, all stocks stocks are speculative too, right? I mean, we're trading yes. certain stocks on a price to earnings ratios that are you know sometimes greater than two hundred times their their earnings, right? That's Pure speculation. I mean, just look at Nvidia yeah. stock right now. But there's a promise of what they're capable to do, what where the general world of technology is going and AI that people believe that there's going to be they're going to create a whole new market. Well, that's kind of what 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 uh, crypto uh, is in many ways, but it's putting the power into more people because they're owning a product, right? And that product is a piece of cryptocurrency, and every cryptocurrency is different. Um, and the difference between stocks and, and crypto is that you have some utility of that token. Um, and every chain or every company kind of has a different utility around it. So the idea was not just to have people hold it, but it was actually to use it, right? Either use it as a payment mechanism or you use it to participate in a certain ecosystem. Um, in our ecosystem, the Constellation ecosystem, our currency is called DAG. You use DAG to purchase throughput to validate a transaction of information, to validate some information. 
Um, and so where I think, uh, if that's really confusing, I think it's really confusing because you need to decouple kind of the, the speculation aspect. So with, with crypto exchanges like Coinbase, they did a really great job of bringing awareness to cryptocurrency as a new asset class, which I think is phenomenal. And they've really been the juggernaut to really pave the way through the SEC, through regulation, where it's a really gray area. However, it, the, the part that really uh, hurts me and many of these companies is that people didn't really dig into the technology and what they're building, right? It would be like you buying a video stock and having no idea what they do and just hoping it goes up, which is totally valid. Uh, and you're yeah. totally allowed to do that as long as you're an accredited investor and can trade stocks. Um, but, you know, uh, but there is something that you have an accountability as a, an investor to do more research. And so with crypto, they didn't really, the exchanges didn't really do a good job of saying, Hey, this is what this currency is going to be used for. This is what they're trying to tackle. And it was just hold it. If it goes up, look at trading charts. And so there's this whole other world that's being built. That's being an innovative world that's being built, um, that uses cryptocurrency as a micro transaction within its own ecosystem. Um, and I think that's really important because it also kind of sheds light on what use cases you can do. Um, so with Ethereum, what you have, uh, you have an ecosystem of builders, much like Constellation. People build Web3 applications. Uh, they might be, um, it might be simply as, as a cryptocurrency. I want to create a cryptocurrency and this currency is going to have a utility. You also might use these things called smart contracts where you pay a fee to use that smart contract and it acts as kind of like a fee mechanism. Um, and so where I, I think a lot of the use cases of, so without going into the weeds too much, and I apologize if I'm going into the weeds <laughs> too much, I think there's no, a lot of great. new applications that can be built in a different way of thinking than what existing structures uh, allow us to. So the speculation really needs to shift, not on like, yes, can it go to the moon, but how can we utilize this, this technology and this currency where it's easier to use this currency than it would be uh, connecting your PayPal account or your bank account to, right? And allowing some developer or orchestrator to operate within that technological ecosystem. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th I think the confusing part is when you, when, when you like DAG, I, I don't understand yeah. what that is exactly. It validates information, you said. It no. seems like that's the whole point of a decentralized network and blockchain is to validate information. So, you know, again, right. without getting into the weeds, I don't know what DAG does that's special, but my thought is if I was to buy DAG and then it's used as a currency... And it has these other functions. I assume it's like on Ethereum is and Ethereum you can build off of Ethereum, right? That's the difference between right. Bitcoin and Ethereum is Bitcoin right. is currency and Ethereum is currency and you can attach software applications or something to it. So I guess right. my question is if we're going to get away from the speculative part of the asset and look at the technology, how is that going to be explained to people like me who are like, I, I don't know, I thought 
I thought the whole purpose of crypto was to validate information. So how is it that DAG does something different or special? And like I said, I don't want to get into the weeds, but if you can kind of right. answer that question and explain that a little bit for me. Yeah, so the way that cons, so um, if you take this uh, Bitcoin, the, the network is validating that I transferred a Bitcoin to Jim. And it's a very simple uh, transaction type. That transaction is data, right? Um, but the data is very simple. It's a simple transaction. In my wallet, I have X and Jim does not. Now Jim has X and Ben does not, right? That's, that's what you're validating is that ledger balance. Um, Ethereum came out and they, they advanced it. And they said, hey, I think there's more we can do. Um, we can make it a little more complex, right? And so you have these things called a contract. Just think like a legal contract that says, if Ben does X, Y, Z, then this transaction happens. Uh, with Constellation, we're actually uh, allowing people to completely define what their transaction is. So they have complete customization. And why that matters is because we think that data is a form of currency. So just like Bitcoin is a currency that you, you uh, send from A to B, we think that data has the same value. Um, and so we cryptographically secure an entire data set that's customizable to the developer so that when they pass that data, think like AI, right? Here's a subset of data that I'm going to transfer into this application our network is able to validate the complexity of that data. So it's really kind of the way that I see what we're doing is that we're merging, we're taking Web3 tooling like distributed ledger and we're bringing it to Web2 so that there's more transparency and accountability. Once again, going back to the AI example, being able to validate that when we took this information, nothing was hacked or spoofed as it went into the AI system, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because one of my questions is how is AI going to change this? So again, I, I'm not fully yeah. understanding everything, but so let's say you, you you do some AI query and you get a bunch of sophisticated information, then yeah. the um, DAG or a cryptocurrency of, of any kind of cryptocurrency might, as one application, they might comb through that data and, and say, yeah, it's all valid and usable rather than, oh, hey, there's a, there's some data that's wrong in there. We need to take that right. out. And then you're, you're saying, yes, it is. And then they can go on about their way and sell it to someone who now has validation. It's like an appraiser. It, actually, that's a, that's a really good example and a re really great um, understanding of it because basically you're saying, hey, who gave us this? What is, where is the source of this data? And then be, be able to attribute that data to some owner and pay them some cryptocurrency for providing that information in AI. Um, and I think where a lot of our culture is going is around the governance of that data, right? Like, why, now, why does this matter? Well, we're starting to wonder why we're committing to all these terms and services of these freemium applications that take our data, resell it, and people are profiting, and we get to see, like, an image on Instagram. I don't know if the value exchange is there, and people are questioning that. Well, AI is going to only amplify that, right? When you start looking at how every every industry is going to be transformed by AI, they're going to start to want attribution of that data. Where did it come from? Who gets credit for it, right? Just like uh, plagiarizing, you know, plagiarizing a, a document or using somebody else's um, 
literature, right? Like you have to attribute ownership to that. How do you do that in a programmatic way? That's going to happen really fast in, in AI. And for AI to scale around regulation, there is going to need to be some sort of governance around that that data and understanding the ownership of it. Hi, this is Zach Hapenstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. At Rise48, we've successfully purchased 38 different properties worth over $1.5 billion worth of real estate and gone full cycle and sold 11 different properties, drastically exceeding projections for our investors. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas markets, then we're the group for you. To learn more about investing with us, visit our website at rise48equity.com and set up a call with me. Thank you. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left-field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily, or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. People are talking about AI and, and what it can do and what it can't and what the dangers are. And you know, one of the things is they can they can make a video of me and, and of me saying ridiculous things that I never said, right? So you can change images, change videos. Is blockchain a potential solution to that where it can say, you know, it can tag on a trust line with it or something that says, no, this is clearly fake and this is and but this is clearly real in a way. And if so, how does that get back to regular people like me? that I can look at it and say, oh yeah, now I can trust that because there's so little trust in our society currently that I, it's hard to see how that would actually work. Yeah, no, it's absolutely uh, one way of identifying what they call like deep fakes right now. Deep fake, um, yeah. Once again, like, is this person real? Is it not? Where did this image come from? How is it created? Um, who created it? Right. All of these things go back to attribution of the data. Uh, where blockchain, not, not Ethereum or, you know, Bitcoin, um, can answer, but new, uh, evolutions of blockchain like Constellation. And there's a few of us out there that are tackling this. I don't want to say we're the only ones out there, but, uh, there are a couple of ecosystems very similar to Constellation that are, are starting to tackle kind of the same complexity of problems that open up more use cases than just validating cryptocurrency, but really validating um, images and the complexity of the, the um, uh, uh, metadata that go into um, an image like a, a deep fake. And if you can validate that and check that across the decentralized ledger, you don't need to trust the entity that's putting that out, right? which I think we're getting to a trustless world, right? Even the government, a lot of the government work we do, uh, we call what, we built, what we're building around zero trust. Uh, not to throw another term out there, but I mean, <laughs> when, you work, when you work with the government, they have more uh, acronyms and terms for everything. Uh, so we get used to like using, uh, you know, synonyms here. But um, yeah, absolutely. Blockchain definitely has that potential to do it where you don't have to trust that. And you can have that little 
you know, we, we used to call it a, as a joke when we started Constellation, it's like, we, we envision that people will have this like powered by Intel sticker that's like powered by Constellation where you're like, okay, that's been validated, right? Um, that message packet, uh, wasn't tampered, spooked or hacked, right? And it's a, it, it's something that we're starting to see come to the, uh, fruition right now. Even you telling me, uh, right now that you could see this whole world around AI being like some sort of validation badge that you know that it's, it is what you say it is, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it'd be great for things like email, right? If there was a little badge that came that said this is legit email rather than, you know, I right. get emails now all the time that say they're from left field investors internal operations team or whatever. And I'm like, it's just the the four or five or six of us. I know that there isn't there anything there, but I always look at it because it looks official. It looks like it came from us. So having a little badge there, you know, like a gateway would, would be great. Um, but what is this, what is blockchain or the decentralized na- network? What does that look like to the consumer now? And what will it look like in the future? Because if I compare this to the internet, when the internet first came out, you know, my the business I was working with at the time, we had an office of 40 people and they gave internet to two people, right? And said, if anyone wants the internet, you got to go to Joe or Sally and and they'll, so you knew you were going onto yeah. the internet to do something. Now, half the time, you don't even know if you're on the internet because the internet's in your pocket or the internet is on your TV or it's your light switches are internet capable. So are we going to get to where blockchain, we don't even know it's there. It's just this application helping us and we don't even know or understand it. Yeah, I, and I don't think we're there yet, Jim. I, I'll be very honest with you. Um, and it, it's sometimes you, you know, being the CEO of this company and what we're doing, I want to be there, right? I'm like, I see where it's going, but we're just not there. Nobody's there yet in this space. Um, I think what we've seen right now are uh, different ecosystems like Solana and Ethereum. They create these nice little applications, um, but they don't really pick up steam. Right. There's so many hoops you have to jump through. Uh, they have things called bridges and you got to understand DeFi. It's way too complicated. It's so cumbersome. Um, and so we're not there yet, but we're defining an industry that attracts developers hand over fist. And that's something that you can't, you can't disagree with. Like that's the fascinating thing is people are seeing kind of this mix of community and social elements, open source mentality of contributing code to a code base, uh, and then getting rewarded for it, right? Which is different than the internet. People contributed to the code base, they contributed to the internet, but they didn't really get rewarded for it um, in the way that they can with cryptocurrency. And so to answer your question, I don't think we've found those consumer use cases that make it pop, right? Even AI, AI has been around, AI and machine learning, you could say it's been around for about 10, 12 years, 12 years, I think, maybe 13. And it wasn't until chat GBT really came out with some sort of consumer application that really like made it click. Five years yeah. ago at Constellation, we were when we were pitching, we were talking about big data, machine learning, and how you process uh, data on a decentralized ledger, just like you do a centralized uh, server base. And like people didn't really get what big data was. Now we're in this time. Now, like five years later, people are like, oh yeah, well, AI, it's like, well, AI existed with like sales automation and stuff. But now we're starting to see the consumer impact of AI. 
We're not there with blockchain. It's way too cumbersome. Uh, but it does have this cypherpunk movement that's going on that's attracting uh, younger generations. It's attracting developers uh, because there's creative thinking involved. It's a different way of thinking. Um, and it's kind of exciting. But I think we're still trying to figure it out. And I don't think where we are today is at all where we'll be in the next two years. I would say in the next two years, you're going to see that kind of Technology, you're going to see the technology operating in your existing systems without you knowing it, right? You're not going to have to switch over from, from web two to web three. I, I think that's kind of a misnomer. It's going to be a convergence of the two where you just don't see the technology, but it's making things safer and more efficient. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to that. So, you know, this, our group, passive, uh, the left field investors, we're, we are investors, right? It's in our name. So how can an investor benefit from all that we've been talking about separating the speculation from the tech, right? So I guess the question is, if I want to invest in some coins other than Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I'm not a tech guy, how do I analyze? I mean, there's hundreds, thousands of coins. They each have different applications. Uh, and really, most people are just looking at them saying, oh, it went up 10% yesterday. I better get that one. How do I pick a coin, analyze it, and say, I'm going to invest in this technology, this business, rather than I'm just hoping some other Yahoo thinks this is awesome and buys it for more than I bought it for? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I, I, I was kind of thinking about our, our talk today, and one thing I was going to highlight is uh, when you when you look at crypto communities right now, uh, when when I started this whole thing in 2017, there was this sense of like building the future, right? It was almost like startups uh, in the early days when people, people you would invest in like a big vision. Um, and now there's this less around where it can go and more what you can do for me today, uh, which is kind of, that's the greed. This I don't even know if it's the speculation. It's just like the greed. People got a taste of really, really high crypto prices in, in 2021. Now we're at this kind of leveling balance uh, act right now. Um, and so I, I think what, you know, what this industry started as like, hey, we're building a future and it's going to take a while. And we haven't really figured those applications. So as investors looking, I would look at um, I would look at what what entities are scaling Ethereum. Um, are there people providing new solutions on top of Ethereum that make it faster, cheaper, easier to use? Um, I personally would stay my you know my thinking is like I would personally stay away from anything that's too heavy on Web three application or promises too much of utility around a cryptocurrency. Uh, and then I would, my third bucket is looking at, um, alternative infrastructures that are identifying new use cases outside of just building an NFT platform. Uh, I, I don't think that we've really seen that come to fruition because I don't know where the need is, but new ecosystems like what we're doing that require new developer tools open up the possibility for an X factor of adoption, right? Are we attracting more developers? Do we provide different tooling? 
that actually merge into Web 2 with existing applications that we already have today versus trying to define a completely new application interface. So I've always thought, you know, when I've, I and I have very little knowledge on this topic, obviously, um, but when I learned a little bit about this distributed ledger and, and about decentralized network, my first thought was, you know, as a real estate investor, I really don't like the whole title process, title companies, right? It's just like, yeah. okay, you're, you're going to check the title. Well, I've owned the property for 10 years. Nothing else has happened. So why can't I, it should just be the same. Is is this yeah. one of those applications that could, you know, could we completely eliminate title companies and just put it all on the blockchain? And, and then it's just obvious that no one is interacting in a nefarious way on this property because, well, look at the blockchain. Right. Uh, absolutely. Like, you know, and this gets into, um, I, this is, this is a really great use case because I, I recently bought a house, uh, and I was blown away by how many middlemen there are. And if you take away yes. one thing from this, this podcast and episode in the power of blockchain, you're like, I don't even know what Ben was saying. The one thing I would say <laughs> is that blockchain takes out the middleman. So if there's a middleman and some digital, um, transaction like a title where you're like all of a sudden everybody's getting a percentage of a percentage <laughs> and for what just processing paperwork like all of that can yeah. be re readily automated in a way where you don't need a middleman and you can trust the code and programming to execute that contract and transfer that title in a seamless way. The issue that, um, that I think, uh, is holding that up is that application interface. It's really tough to interface. How do you code a contract like this to, to occur? How do you, pro how do you procure the cryptocurrency to pay for that transaction? It's all too messy. And the group that figures out how to make that easy and you just light it up, it, you're going to have a, a significant shift in the real estate industry specifically. There's no reason that we shouldn't be able to seamlessly transfer um, a fraction of our property uh, or the deed or the title to anybody we want. Um, I don't I don't know why there's so many loops and people that come in and they play their role for like five minutes in a real estate transaction and we're giving just percentages away. Like it's, it, yeah. I mean, to me, it's never made sense and um, and like that's an easy spot to look at, at going, wow, this technology could come through. People could use it once it's easy to use and you don't have to have a developer use it. Then now you're off to the races. But right now you still need a developer to structure all this. Right. And I guess that that's the issue uh, for, for me. Like you said, AI, no one really understood it, knew what it was. It was just this, some random thing. And then all of a sudden chat GPT and now we're all like, you know, instead of putting 1-800-Flowers.com, they're going right. to put 1-800-Flowers.ai because that'll get yeah. people to invest, right? So yeah. that's what I think we need for some of these applications yeah. is just someone to come up and say, hey, we're replacing title companies. Who's going to argue about that except for realtors that own a piece of a title company because no one likes the title process, right? right. So, And I think there's plenty of places that this exists in our, you know, world full of red tape and bureaucracy but why isn't this, and I know you said in a couple of years it'll move fast, but why aren't they picking out some of these seemingly like obvious examples and just saying, hey, let's let's do it? 
I think there's a lot of politics involved, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of, I mean, we're even, we're seeing this from a high level on how the SEC is trying to come after uh, crypto and, and call it securities when, you know, a couple of years ago, they were saying just the opposite, right? These aren't securities. Uh, and so there's definitely a, a, a little political situation going on, right? And you ultimately get that across. And it's not just crypto. We should actually just look at every piece of technology that ever existed, right? Even down to Amazon going, hey, we're going to move everybody online. They're like, dude, that's never going to happen. We're going to have to have brick and mortar. And they're like, no, I'm going to take a chunk out of your business. And so people don't necessarily want to embrace technology because they have a short-sighted view that, oh, it might... Um, you know, remove the amount of people we hire or the staffing needs, or it might cut into some other revenue track. But that's that's just a short-sighted way of looking at something that is going to be disruptive, right? Going back to your term of what's disruptive, that's purely disruptive. In a title company, you have a piece of technology that you could could use, but that would also mean that you would be laying off a lot of people. How does that look towards um, you know, investors, if they don't see the big picture. So it's a sensitive right. thing that I just don't think is, has been fully thought through on what that actually could open up. If we could actually remove the amount of people involved in a real estate transaction and shift that to people actually buying real estate, flipping houses, creating funds instead of just focusing on, I just want a piece of the, the, the title transfer transaction. That could open up a whole new pathway of innovation. Uh, that, by definition, is is disruptive, right? And disruption typically has a bad name, but it opens up new channels completely. And so, I want to end with with this. I think, and, and you kind of mentioned it, how the SEC thinks of some of these possibly as a security, possibly not. I thought that that Bitcoin was kind of thought of as a commodity, and maybe the rest of them might be securities. And, and as we were having this conversation, you were explaining, you know, the the use case, the technology. It had me thinking that each one of these coins is really just a company like you're investing in the stock market, right? It's just you're investing in a coin and its technology. So it makes sense if those were securities from my perspective, um, you know, my limited perspective. And then Bitcoin seems like that's that's like a gold or a dollar or silver or any kind of, is that kind of how people are thinking? Is that how you think it will shake out with the SEC eventually? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, yes, I, I think there's a lot of how people fundraise um, ultimately categorize their cryptocurrency into a security bucket, right? Um, in 2017, 2018, even up till now, People raise in this kind of like, oh, we promise to add, add utility to this token, and thus it's not a security. So people are buying a product. Um, and those kind of failed efforts really kind of left the market with a, a bad taste. Uh, so I, I do think that going forward, we're going to have more restrictions on how people fundraise in the crypto space. A lot of the SEC, what they're trying to prove is falling short in the courts. And the courts are saying, actually, this is just bad business operations and bad business practice or wire and banking fraud. This isn't necessarily um, what you're, you can't, you're not proving enough that this is, they're actually a security when they're actually trying to create a product. But I do think there will be more restrictions on how people fundraise. I don't think necessarily existing crypto 
is going to get the handcuffs uh, that that we're thinking, right? But going forward, it's going to be like, hey, and trust me, as an owner of a, a cryptocurrency company, our own chain, I actually really want regulation. You know, paying for our legal bills and kind of uh, gray area of regulation is a really tough world to live in, and it's not fun to sleep in. So, um, yeah. you know, if they could figure that out, but they're not saying, like, here are the regulations and um, or here's how we classify it. They haven't done that, which is which I think is coming on the horizon. Right. Uh, and I think that'll be a good thing because there needs to be some sort of way of understanding what is acceptable and what's not for these currencies. Yeah. Well, th- this this has been fascinating, and and you do a really good job of explaining kind of in in normal terms what all this is. I will probably listen to this three or four times to make sure I got it all. But um, last question I usually ask is what Thanks. what's a great podcast that you like to listen to? Yeah, I I love listening to how things work. Um, <laughs> you know, interesting. I I listen. Some of them are are really good, and you're like, wow, I didn't even think of how the like sewage system works uh, in, in the world, and <laughs> holy crap, all the different people that are involved in the pro- thinking that goes through it. So, um, yeah, that's that's definitely... And then, of course, yours. Um, I love all the different individuals that you bring on onto the show. It's uh, such a diverse perspective. And uh, it's cool to see that because, you know, a lot of real estate investors are actually part of the Constellation community uh, that I talk to on a daily basis. And they use this as, a, as kind of a, a way to... I don't want to say hedge their bet, but uh, give them a different kind of look into the future and what's being built out there. Um, and I, I think that's the kind of power that that the crypto industry has brought is uh, really kind of brought a whole world of people together um, into kind of painting a picture of the future. So excellent. Well, th- thank you for that. Um, you know, we will definitely put those Excellent. in the show notes and, and you always get bonus points when you, uh, when you, when you mentioned past investing from left field. Um, so if you, if, if listeners want to get in touch with you, learn more about constellation network, more, learn more about DAG, what's the best way to do that? Uh, yeah. Um, my email, um, well, actually I'm going to be sensitive about my personal information, but <laughs> go to constellationnetwork.io. Um, yeah. And, uh, constellation network.io. You can find out all about what we're doing. I think we have a lot of details on some of the stuff we're doing with the United States Air Force, which is actually some of the most exciting stuff that we didn't really even touch on. Uh, it'll probably blow people's minds, but um, you know, there, there's a lot of information out there. We have a Telegram community. We've got over 100,000 people that follow us on Twitter. Uh, we do a lot wow. of our technical updates there. Uh, that's And then you can yeah, that's where you can kind of get, gather your information, see what people look for, um, which is a, a different set of rules in, in the crypto world. When you invest and purchase uh, crypto, you're you're ultimately looking at a different set of rules and there's more due diligence that's out there. It's kind of figure it out for yourself type thing. But um, yeah, we welcome people to join and I'm happy to take, take calls and chats uh, to talk more in detail about this stuff. So. Jim, thank you for the complimentary um, term or words that you did to, to describe the way that I described Web three and crypto. It can be very confusing, and I know, like sometimes when I say these things, I'm thinking my parents, like, oh god, they they'll lose <laughs> focus. But it's a really exciting uh, time to be in this world of, of technology, right? And I think um, 
it's just cool to be able to talk to different groups about this that are uh, already in the industry. Yeah, well, absolutely. This was fantastic. We really appreciate your time and uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. This is Chad Ackerman, the host of the LFI Spotlight podcast. As part of our growth here at Left Field Investors, the LFI Spotlight is moving to its own podcast feed. So if you'd like to continue to hear stories, tips, and receive advice, be sure to subscribe to the LFI Spotlight podcast today. We'll see you in the spotlight. That was really fun talking to Ben, you know, just about blockchain, Bitcoin. I have so many questions about that, and it is really complicated, but he has a way of making it easier to understand. As I said, you know, I'll listen to this two or three times because it is so complicated, but that's the benefit of being a podcast host. That's the benefit of being in the community like ours. You can always have these conversations that allow you to extend your learning and hear things more and more, and then you end up learning more. And so that, that's great. One thing interesting thing about him, he's a creative guy and I never really put creative and tech together, but he is building out these apps that are gonna, you know, hopefully power the world in the future. So you have to have a lot of creativity for that. And so it's interesting to put creativity and tech together and, and what do you end up with? You end, end up with some pretty interesting um, crypto coins and blockchain ledgers and all the other stuff he was talking about. I also thought it was really cool that he owns a couple of restaurants. What I didn't ask and should have is if you can uh, if you can buy a sandwich there with Bitcoin or DAG or any of those other coins um, if he takes them at his restaurant. But, you know, he talked a lot about how the blockchain currently, it's cumbersome and it's difficult to use and it's certainly difficult to understand until you get that one killer app like ChatGPT did for AI. You need something for the blockchain that is gonna, gonna get people thinking less about speculation and how to make money you know, buying Bitcoin and more about the actual tech behind it. And it's getting better. And if they could come up with that one killer app, the first one I would recommend, as I mentioned, is title companies, right? There's so much friction and there's so many people taking a piece, taking a cut as, as you go through the transaction of buying a property. If you could go to this trustless system, which sounds like you don't trust anybody, but it means you don't have to trust anybody because you trust everybody working together and, you know, get that one killer app and all of a sudden blockchain and everything is off to the races because people can understand it a little bit better when there is something that you can um, understand and see and use, right? And as as uh, Ben said, blockchain takes out the middleman. As I mentioned, there's all these different people dipping into it. If you can eliminate those for you know properties or for, for buying a property or any of these other things that numerous people are involved in and you can reduce the friction, get rid of the, the extra people in there, it'll just mean that everything kind of runs more smoothly and there's more trust and you can accomplish things more efficiently. So I'm really looking forward to seeing where that goes. It was fascinating having Ben on and really appreciate the way he explains things in a in a easier, easier to understand way. And I think there's going to be an ad on this podcast for um, Steve Sue's new book, but I have to mention it. Avoiding Rookie Errors as a Left Field Investor, 20 Lessons Learned from 14 Years of Private or 14 Years of Passive Investing in Private Syndications. I have to say I've read advanced copies of it. It's phenomenal. It is the best book I have read on passive investing by far. Yes, I am biased because Steve Sue is one of the LFI founders. He's a great guy, a smart guy, but that book, I think it should be required reading. If they're gonna change the syndicator rules, or not syndicator, but the um, accredited investor rules, I think this book, if you read this book, 
that should allow you to be accredited or maybe reverse. If you don't read this book, then you can't be accredited because it gives you all of these lessons you can learn so you can avoid mistakes, right? You get a shortcut, you read this book and in an hour, the hour and a half that it takes to read it, you're gonna learn all kinds of things to look out for you so that you don't make the same mistakes that he made, that I made, that you know some of the people who've been doing this for a while have made. And this book is good for rookies right before you do your first investment all the way to people that are doing their hundredth investment. I'm gonna read this a couple of times, fantastic book. So um, I would recommend you go to our website and check it out. But that's all we have for this time. We'll catch you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in the left field with us today. If you are interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestor.com and click the subscribe button to join our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast would be appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show was copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.